Hello and welcome to The Hurt Take. I'm your host, Reese Dobigan. You're back for another round. Woo! It's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to have the company. Boy, uh, UFC 216 this weekend. Of course, headlined by the Conor McGregor Showdown. The Red Panty Night finale between Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee. Who was going to get the big payday? Because really, that was the question, right? Which one of these guys was going to win and be in line for a very likely crack at the money man, at the payday king, the notorious Conor McGregor? Before the fight even happened, this this thing was this thing was I mean just a fucking gong show. Right? That I mean let's call it what it is. Kevin Lee showed up bragging about he ate tiramisu the night before. He's not a bitch, so he's not going to miss weight. What does he do? He misses weight by a full pound. What an just ridiculous. Now of course, because the uh the, the way the Nevada State Athletic Commission works, they gave him another hour to make weight, he shows up looking emaciated, terrible. I mean, the, sh- the shit they put themselves through. Ugh. Just to keep that fight intact. He got up on that scale. He finally made weight. So the fight was on. And then he makes the walk down to the ring. And Joe Rogan, at first, people were kind of like, what is going on? Rogan went off. He was saying, what's that mark on his chest? That's Is that a staph infection? Turns out it was a staph infection. Turns out that Kevin Lee had been fighting with a staph infection for the previous week. And the, the Nevada State Athletic Commission still let him fight. So not only did he miss weight, and they knew that he had a staph infection, and so when he missed weight, they still gave him a chance to cut that extra pound to make weight. Knowing he had a staph infection, knowing all these complications. At what point is there negligence? I mean, that's just just terrible. That's just not thinking of Kevin Lee at all. And of course, what do you think he's going to do? You think he's going to look out for his own health and safety in this situation? Are you kidding me? This is the biggest opportunity of his life. So, of course, the fight went on and it was a really good fight. It was a really good fight. Tony Ferguson did what he does. Fergie Ferg. Funky style. Changing up his stance. You know, throwing unconventionally. Taking weird angles. Made it a really interesting fight. But Kevin Lee was able to actually stand in there with him. I was a bit surprised. I thought Kevin Lee would get kind of carved up on the feet. I figured it would it would go and finish in the third round via submission, but... Kevin Lee held his own, man. He looked very good in there. But Fergie Ferg, he was able to persevere. Got hit a bit more than I thought he might. You know, he certainly left his chin out in the open, the way he would kind of leave his chin up and and held back when he would throw. But uh, his general depth of skill, his ability to have an answer for everything Lee brought at him, and his ability to take advantage of Lee's lapses ultimately proved out. He was able to fight off his back when he was on his back. He was able to fight on his feet when he needed to, pressure when he needed to. So he was able to just to kind of beat Kevin Lee with his overall game. And of course, after the fact, the question is, 
Is Ferguson going to get Conor McGregor? Dana White seems to think that that is the fight to make. Dana White says a title unification bout between Conor McGregor and Tony Ferguson is the fight that has to happen. Who knows what the hell that means coming from Dana White, let's be honest, when the words that come out of his mouth aren't always in tune with reality or aren't always in the best interest of, of the fighters or even really what is going to happen. So, I mean, you could take it at face value and, and think that maybe the man in charge thinks that that's the fight to make. Or, or it's some kind of strange bargaining position. For a long time, we spec we speculated about how Dana White tries to manage Conor McGregor, the UFC, the Fertitas. They didn't seem to not like how McGregor seemed to be uncontrollable. So who knows what it means? McGregor's people still want the DS fight. His coach Owen Roddy said that's the fight the people want. I tend to disagree, of course. I tend to disagree because at some point you got to give the rub to somebody else. It's one thing to make money, but it's another thing to plant the seeds to build other stars. And the only way you're going to do that is if you give them the rub from Conor McGregor. Nate Diaz was just another guy until he stepped in with Conor McGregor. He had a decent fan base, but he was just another guy. Steps in with Conor McGregor. Now he's got clout. Now he's got credibility. Now he's something, somebody the people want to see. The UFC needs to make sure that they give that to a guy like Tony Ferguson. Because Coach Owen Roddy, of course, doesn't agree. Says that uh, McGregor is the rightful champ. You know, that whole thing about McGregor being the rightful champ, it's, getting, it's just getting really stale at this point. You know, he may need to think it. To be mentally at his best, and he may need to say it to promote, but it's just getting so old having to hear it. It just makes him sound like a chump. You know, especially with the featherweight belt. Like, you know, he's never defended it. He's never defended it. He's not the rightful champ anymore. You know, a king that abandons his lands then let someone else just kind of occupy them. Whether they took them in battle or not, you weren't there and you didn't protect your space. It's not yours anymore. McGregor was not there to defend that space, to defend that belt, to defend that territory, to call himself the champion of the division. And Max Holloway stepped in and took it. And he's the champ now. If I have to hear... Somebody say McGregor's the rightful champ. Oh my god, I'm gonna lose my shit. The co-headlining bite, co-headlining bite. Man, I'm high when I said that. The co-headlining bout, Demetrius Johnson versus Ray Borg. Again, I'm still super bitter. I drove all the way up to Edmonton. To see that fight. And it didn't happen. So I'm a bit bitter. Even more bitter. Considering the way DJ won this one. You want to you talk about a highlight career defining moment. Oh. Oh. That man. That man. Is incredible. That is up there with... Anderson Silva front-kicking Vitor Belfort in the face as one of the most incredible 
moments in UFC history. It is. It is. He breaks the record with a back, with a German suplex to armbar? Who does that? Who does that? Who does that? Incredible. I mean, just think of what about what Demetrius Johnson brings to the table. How much he can do compared to the average fighter. He he makes it look like a video game. Honestly, he does. He can cycle through his options. He can react to every situation as if it was as binary as a video game. As if it was XXB, circle, triangle, up, down, up, down, left, right, BA. And he gets that. It's that simple for him. He makes it look that easy. Like it's a button combination. No resistance. You know, some fighters are known for a particular thing. You know, McGregor for his left hand. Uh, Chiesa for his rear naked choke. Ovin St. Prue for the Von Flew choke. Crow Cop, the left head kick. At this point, DJ is basically the king of the armbar. I think he's got four armbar finishes now, and they're always so slick and so textbook. No one other than Ronda Rousey is as efficient at getting them, just snatching that arm. Ah, listen, R- Ronda's had some some amazing arm bars, but nothing like that. Whew. You know, just the things that DJ can do. He's a monster in the clinch. You know, he gutted one of the best clinch fighters in the game, Henry Cejudo, in the clinch. He's he can counterpunch. He can he can fight on the back foot and he can fight on the front foot. He knocked out Joe Benavidez with a counter punch. You know, unlike now, at, unlike earlier in his career when he's going to decision a number of times, he's really started pouring it on and aggressively seeking first to dominate guys, which he so frequently does now. Just dominates, smothers guys, puts them on the mat, breaks their will, and then finishes them late in the fight and goes for it. Just incredible. Just incredible. The best the best MMA fighter with all the rounded skills that there's ever been. Some guys might be more exciting. Some guys might be more, you know, better strikers, better grip. But he is the perfect mixed martial artist. Put him in any weight class. Those skill sets, that guy's a champion. Which makes me... Come back to how, how the f- how the fuck does the UFC not understand how to market this man? Like DJ can't be marketed. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Conor McGregor was just shit talking a left hand before that world tour with Aldo. Yeah, he had a built-in Irish audience, sure, but other than that, he was just he was just a ball of clay, man. He was just a block of wood. And then the UFC gave him the stage. You know? You don't think that you can market DJ the conventional way? I mean, Jesus, then get creative, right? You think people won't respect him because of his size? Fine. Throw DJ some money. Say, let's we're going to do an open mat media call. Bring in some fans, some big dudes who've got some training in MMA. Put them in against DJ with some headgear. See what happens. Hell, put DJ on fucking Conan and do an open mat with the biggest member of Conan's staff. 
you know, th- this isn't like the Ronda Rousey thing where you would get serious blowback having her fight a man to try and make that connection. Like, she's so good she could beat a guy kind of thing. No one would have any issues seeing DJ smack around a bunch of half-trained slapdicks who weigh 200 pounds. No one would have a problem with that. And it would be excellent, excellent promotion. You know, hey, maybe that situation is coming up here soon. In an ideal scenario, if Cody Garbrandt can go out and beat TJ Dillashaw, you put those together, two together in a super fight. Do up a world tour. Win-win. You know, Dana White just recently said on, on the Dan LeBetard show, he thinks Cody Garbrandt could be the next big star. Super. Super. Promote him then. Put him in against DJ. Promote them. One of them will get the rub. One of them will come out a big star. Can't promote him. Weak. Weak excuse in my opinion. So what he did. At UFC 216. You think you can't market that. You're not trying. You're not trying. Otherwise, UFC 216. There were two draws on this card. Two draws. Which is just... That's amazing. There's very rarely a, a single draw. There were two... Who draws on this? You don't think DJ can draw? This card can draw. (laughs) Alright, terrible pun. I apologize. So the first draw you had Benil Dariush and Evan Dunham. That was a majority draw. So two, uh, two judges actually thought it was a straight draw on their cards. Which is wild. Two of them were just straight draw. Where else on the card? So the Lando Venata and Bobby Green, they had the other draw, which was a bit more fitting. I mean, that was a war. That was a back and forth. That was a really interesting fight. Two guys with a fun style. That was our that was our pick here on the show for you know the entertaining fight on that card beforehand. They really brought it. That was a lot of fun. They these two guys will have jobs going forward. They're always going to test people. They're always going to give people an interesting style. If you think that you're an up-and-coming fighter, you think that you're a future champion, go through a guy like Lando Venata or Bobby Green and see what you're made of. See if you can adapt. If you can't adapt to those guys, you're not a champion. You're not going to be a title contender. You know, I think there's... On, there's a really negative connotation with the idea of being a gatekeeper. But listen, gatekeepers, those are role players, man. Without gatekeepers, you can't test the cream of the crop. You can't find out who's the best and who's not because they got to go through those guys. And gatekeepers are fantastic fighters in their own right. Fantastic fighters in their own right. There's a lot of guys who will jump into the top five, get their title shot, and then they'll just tumble because they'll have had their one run. Gatekeepers, those guys hang around. Bobby Green, Lando Venata, those guys could be gatekeepers. They're testers. Elsewhere on the card, Fabricio Verdum 
absolutely worked over Walt Harris on short notice when uh, his original opponent, um, Derek Lewis, had to be pulled from the card because of a bad back. Super disappointing. That would have been an exciting fight. But at the same time, a shitty human being as Verdum sometimes seems to act, that man, that man knows how to grapple. I mean, Walt Harris looked like an amateur. Legit looked like an amateur. Verdum went for a uh, just a quick snatch single. Walt Harris kind of stayed on his feet for a bit, and then he just went down. Verdum passed him full mount, like, instantly. Yay. Elsewhere on the card, the Tom Dukenwell hype train. Hit the brakes. Whew. Seriously jammed up. He, you know, he looked really good. Probably won one of those rounds. Arguably could have said maybe he won another one of those rounds, but he faded in the third. And uh, Cody Staman just... You know, he and he... All, all credit goes to Cody Staman. He looked very good. Ready to go. Prepared. Focused. Tough. He counter-striked a lot better than I thought he was going to. Dukenwa continues to have problems with his defense. And in this fight in particular, his takedown defense was not very good. So it remains to be seen whether he can you know, fix up those problems. He's at Jackson Wink. He's at a great camp. So let's hope he can because if that if that guy can figure out how to fill up his holes. Oh, he's got such a great style. And he's so exciting. We want the Frenchman. We want the Frenchman to figure it out. Let's do it. Now, non-UFC 216 related stories. Let's quickly bang off a few here that are worth talking about. Henry Cejudo. Now, if you're not familiar with the, the current events right now... There are some wildfires burning in California wine country, Napa, those areas. Uh, Henry Cejudo was in, was in the area. Jumped out of a window. A window. A window. Burned his feet. She tweeted out some pictures of the burns on his feet. And lost his 2008 gold Olympic medal. Rough. Rough break. But kind of an incredible situation. Ian McCall was released by the UFC so that he could seek blood money. My, his words, not mine. He said he wanted a minimum of $100,000 to fight. This is a guy who has barely fought the last four years due to injuries and various other circumstances. And he wants hundred k to fight. He's willing to go to Chechnya and take blood money. Go ahead. Go to Chechnya. Take the money. You're into the mercenary thing. Honey Jason is a terrible person. Athletes can be terrible people. Shocking. See Ian McCall above. Honey Jason was caught on camera punching a woman who was on the ground. I mean, this is a guy who's got some well-documented anger issues, 
in the UFC. He punched a wall one time. So it's not like this is this is not a huge surprise. But once again, it has to be said that for every every Daniel Cormier type of guy who seems really legit, really good, there's a honey Jason somewhere. Giving them all a bad name and just looking like an idiot. That's it for this week on The Hurt Take. I have been your host, Reese Dovigan. I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast. For the fans, by the fans. We'll see you next week. I am out.